disputed, I guess. Um, Aaron Holmes. I knew that's not familiar. I know somebody else named Aaron Holmes, but it's a lady. This one, Aaron Holmes is a man. Aaron Holmes uh, and his young family, they migrated from Florida to Liberia in West Africa in the early years of the 20th century in search of affordable land and a better life. Tragically, two years after moving to Liberia, Aaron Holmes' wife passed away. And while he was there, afterwards he met a young widow named Pearl Graham, who also had moved from the United States in the same sort of situation. And after a brief courtship, they married and settled in the Gola region of Liberia. Aaron Holmes, at the time of his marriage to Pearl, was a Methodist, and she was a Pentecostal, and it didn't take long for her to convert her husband to her faith. And shortly after, the Holmeses opened the Zoridi Pentecostal mission, which included a school and a farm, and he taught his neighbors farming techniques that he had learned in Florida, but most importantly, in 1924, the that's 100 years ago, I guess. The Zoradee mission became the site of the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the nation of Liberia. And at times, life was very difficult on the Zoradee mission. In her book, Profiles of Pentecostal Missionaries, Mary Wallace shares a story of how the Holmeses responded to a locust infestation that hit the region. Pearl, who was affectionately known as Mother Holmes, she, this is going to gross you out, but she cooked the locust for dinner because that's all there was and um, Mary Wallace records uh, they call them Daddy Holmes and Mother Holmes Daddy Holmes changed his grace before he prayed for the meal from Father we thank thee for what we're about to receive to Father make us thankful and one of the Holmes's daughters said that the family washed the locust down with lemonade and so Sacrifice for the sake of the gospel became a way of life for the Holmeses. When Aaron Holmes decided to become ordained, he, he walked um, 65 miles to Monrovia, which is the capital of Liberia, to, to do that. In other occasions, they visited uh, a nearby village to teach a weekly Bible class. And when they arrived, they found the villagers preparing to brutally punish a young girl for the crime of theft. And Aaron Holmes intervened and ordered the villagers to punish him instead when they protested and said that he wasn't guilty of the crime. He took the opportunity to preach unto them about the story of Jesus and the cross and taking our sins. The Holmes family, they witnessed many miracles during their ministry. Medical care was usually inaccessible or completely unavailable, so they trusted God for healing, and that's how they lived. In one instance, their daughter was miraculously healed after eating poisonous mushrooms by accident. Sister Holmes had a, a broken leg and had to use crutches for a while, and, but she didn't let it stop her from completing her duties on behalf of the, the mission. Brother and Sister Holmes, they were both um, credentialed ministers with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Jesus Christ and that merged and became with some other organizations become the UPCI and so they were founding members of the United Pentecostal Church when it was formed in 1945. 
In the 50s, the Zorodi mission had grown to 85 students. In 1958, Aaron Holmes traveled to the United States to raise funds for the mission and to visit their oldest daughter, who now lived in New York. And while he was there, he died of a heart attack before he could begin fundraising. And because she was still in Liberia, Mother Holmes was unable to attend her husband's funeral. It was too hard to get there in those days. And not long after his death, um, Sister Holmes, she was able to visit. She'd been struggling with this broken leg, um, recovering, and she was invited to attend a missions meeting in Connecticut, and some fellow missionaries and church leaders prayed for her. And as they prayed, God performed a miracle and healed her badly crippled leg. Mother Holmes, she continued serving as a missionary, not leaving Liberia until shortly before her death. In total, she served 63 years as a missionary. That that church that they started, the Zorodi Mission, still stands today, and the Holmes's descendants are still members of the United Pentecostal Church of Liberia. And it wasn't an easy road for them. Those are just some of the things they, they went through. And you look at stories of people like the Holmeses and people like the Dross and things that they went through as, as missionary families. And even, you know, in our own district, things the story of the men's coming and losing everything before they even got it here, before they even were able to do anything. And you look at stories, and sometimes we can look at it and say, is it fair that, you know, Aaron Holmes moved to Liberia and lost his first wife, or Pearl lost her first husband? Was it fair that they had a locust infestation while well, they're trying to live for God and trying to start a work and, and trying to do what God called them to do. Is it fair that they had to eat locusts and wash them down with lemonade? Or was it fair that she, her mother Holmes, wasn't able to attend her husband's funeral while he's trying to raise money for the church? Was it fair that they faced the hardships they, they faced? And we can look at any life and we can see these kinds of stories that church history is full of people who gave their lives and went through great trials and these these are good faithful people history is also full of people who were killed for their faith martyrs we call them people who stood for something believed in something and faced the threat of death last well two weeks ago i guess we talked a bit about the first persecution of the church and how they faced it with Peter and John being thrown in prison and preaching uh, for preaching about Jesus. And the response to that was not to pray and ask for deliverance like we so often want. It was to have boldness to continue to stand and to continue to preach and to keep spreading the gospel in face of persecution, arrest, and eventually death. And as you read through the New Testament, there are many people who were persecuted and killed for standing up for what is writing for doing what God called them to do for preaching about Jesus and for following Jesus most of the disciples met in early death and then there were others that came later Paul and Stephen and many more were also martyred and it can be a difficult thing for us to comprehend sometimes why God allows these things to happen here we have people you know serving God being faithful to God and doing the right thing, and yet it seems they get rewarded with pain and suffering and sometimes even death and heartbreak. And even still, we today we see faithful, good people, people who have given their lives to God. Some have even preached the gospel and pastored churches or pioneered works, sometimes in foreign countries and sometimes here in Canada. And they go through bad things, and we can find ourselves asking, why does this happen? 
And we can look at the lives of faithful people and wonder why they have to go through such things and wonder how they can remain faithful through it. And I wish I had the answers, but I don't. So if you're looking for those, keep looking. But I do know that through these trials and tribulations, God molds and he shapes us and he works on us. And I do know that there is something about those of us that can remain faithful to God, even when the times we are facing aren't very pleasant, even when we're going through trials and tribulations or sickness, there's a sort of stubborn faith that carries people through. In the Old Testament, there was a group of young men with the same sort of faith and fortitude, if you will. Their country had been destroyed, and because they were young and healthy, they'd been captured and they've been led away and taken to a foreign land. They had their names changed. They had to learn a new language. Everything was different and strange to them. Life hadn't dealt them a good hand thus far. But yet, there was something different about these young men. The world had rocked them. The world had shaken them. The world hadn't been fair to them. And life hadn't gone the way that they planned and surprisingly this was through no fault of their own sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves we don't want to admit it but we do with our own decisions and our own actions and sometimes we're faced with the consequences of our own choices but other times it's brought on us by the decisions and actions of other people and these young men they were in this position because their ancestors had made poor decisions for generations and generations and they had worshipped other gods and they had turned against their god Jehovah and they had been stubborn and foolish and they ignored the warning of God and somehow in a foreign land surrounded by heathens raised by backslidden people of God in a completely different culture speaking a completely different language beyond you know all odds and whatever they find faith in God in Daniel chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So this was a 90 foot statue, nine feet wide. Sometimes we read cubits and that doesn't mean anything. This is a pretty big statue. Ten basket or nine basketball nets high. If that's how you want to picture it. I don't know. Ninety feet high. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces, everybody, to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes and the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so while these men were in captivity, the king of Babylon decides that he's going to build himself a huge golden statue. And he gathers all the the leaders, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the, the sheriffs, and more to dedicate this lovely monstrosity. And they all gather, and the, all the leaders in Babylon, you've got local leaders, you've got um, 
high-ranking officials. You've got uh, provincial-type leaders. You've got army leaders. You've got all sorts of government officials. I don't know if you can kind of picture this. You know, it's not just the parliament. If this was in Canada, it wouldn't be just the people at Ottawa. It would be the mayors here. It would be the RCMP leaders. It would be, you know, whoever. Everybody, all the local, provincial, everybody, any leader was there. The MPs, the police chiefs, the army generals. This is a huge gathering of all the leaders of Babylon, a huge mess of people. And here they are standing in front of this big, ugly, golden statue. And it says, a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, that's a fun instrument, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. This is what some guy had to yell. That's a hard mouthful. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, all the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. I know we know the story. We're going through it anyway. And so they made a rule. And they said, whenever you hear the sound of all these instruments, you must fall down and worship this huge statue for no other reason than we told you to. This wasn't a Babylonian god. He didn't make an image of a god. It just says it was an image. The government just decided that this was something these people had to do because they wanted to. And did you know this sort of thing has never happened since? People just decided to do something because they want and everybody needs to follow it. <laughs> and they threatened those who wouldn't do it. And they said, we're going to throw you in the furnace the same hour, right away. As soon as we find out you're not doing this, you're dead. You're going in the furnace. I don't know what kind of furnace this was. How, why they had a furnace this big. I don't know if they heated all Babylon with this furnace or what the deal was. But it was big enough to throw people in. And said, so we're going to put you in the furnace. You better do what we say. And so they put out a test, kind of, I guess. Kind of a test to see who's going to do it. Who's going to worship this thing. And then they played the music, all those instruments. They made a big ruckus and everybody did it. It says all the people, all the different nations, Babylon had captured other people. And they brought them in and they all had their own gods and all this stuff. And, and they, they all, all the different languages, all the different nations. It was a multicultural celebration of a golden statue. That means there were Sumerians and Chaldeans and Babylonians and Persians and more, including many, many, many Israelites or Jews. They heard, they all heard the music. They all heard the, the ruckus. And without thinking, without wondering if they should, they all followed the crowd and bowed down to this ridiculous image. And this image, it didn't even mean anything. It didn't represent anything. It didn't. There's no record of it. It wasn't a, a certain god or it wasn't... It was just an image that Nebuchadnezzar wanted made. It was just something they were told to worship because someone else wanted them to do it. 
And just a side note, we got people all over the place worshiping things just because they're told to. Things that don't matter, things that someone just told them you need to bow down to, and you need to cower to this thing, and you need to respect this, and you need to honor this, and you need to do this. And we so we better do it because they're telling us to when society says this thing is important. You've got to bow to this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to you got to do this now because we said so. And if you don't, there's going to be a punishment. There's going to be this. And I'm not talking about COVID. <laughs> talking about other things, society in general. If you don't do this thing, there's going to you're going to pay. And I'm not preaching to rebel against leadership. Wednesday we talked about following the rules of the land, the laws, and all that sort of thing. The, but there's an issue when someone tries to force someone to worship or to bow down or to cower before something just because they say so. And so for most of the people of Babylon, this doesn't seem to matter, except for a few fellers. Verse 8, it says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. So a group comes forward, and they accuse another of not following the rules. Do with that as you will. It says in verse 9, They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. They start buggering him up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Live forever, king. You're so great. Oh, wonderful. You're, you're a great guy. It says, Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man shall hear the, the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimer, they, they, they remembered all the, all the instruments and all kinds of music. They shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, then he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And so they come to the king and they, you know, they butter him up as you do to kings. If you want them to listen to you, you got to tell them good things. Oh, they live forever. Oh, wow. I could just, I could just be in your kingdom forever, king. No. It'd be great if you were the leader as long as forever. That would be wonderful. And they said, "Yeah, you remember that rule that you made? You remember that thing that that that? Uh, you remember how you said that when all this music starts, the people should come and they should bow down and they should all worship? Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you remember how you said that if somebody didn't do it, you throw them in the fire. You remember that, King? Remember that rule? That was that was you know that was a good one. You're so smart and surely." You know, it's only been uh, it's only been a few minutes since you made that rule. We just kind of started this thing. Do you and you surely didn't forget the punishment for for breaking that rule. I don't know if you've ever done that. Made a rule, and maybe you got kids at home. Oh, if you, if you guys don't do this, this is going to happen. Maybe you had a maybe you had a boss do that. Maybe you were the boss, and you said, "Okay, guys, next person." It doesn't show up on time. They're getting written up. They're getting sent home. Whatever. You know, you make a rule because you've had enough. You make a rule, and then what happens? Someone breaks the rule almost instantly, just about every time. We had a rule. We had a, a dress code. We went to a youth congress with a youth group. We had a dress code. You weren't allowed to wear jeans to service. This was back in the days. Now that's all they wear. But it's neither here nor there. <laughs> The first night, these boys come out of the room with the jeans on. <sighs> Pushing it. The first night. 
As soon as you make a rule. And they didn't even warm their dress clothes yet. They weren't even dirty yet. Fine. Bring them out the last night. Oh, everything's dirty, whatever. The first night, they were just pushing it, trying to break the rule. I'm not going to say what happened, but that's what happens. Whenever you make a rule, someone seems to want to break it right away. Whenever there's a consequence, someone wants to you know, push it right away. And, and, and then you're put in a spot. If you're the one that made the rule, you're put in a spot. I've got to decide you know, if I'm going to follow through with the threats or consequences or not. They say as a parent, don't make consequences or don't make threats that you can't you know, follow through on. We've got a joke rule in our house. I don't know if you guys do that, but we have joke rules. We have a lot of them. We, we go through quite a bit of clementines. And um, when the girls were younger, I, I used to work at Cora's, and so I peeled a lot of fruit. And uh, I, I got good at peeling a clementine when the peel comes off in one piece. And so we got a rule in our house. I showed them how to do it, and I said, if you don't do it, you're grounded. And that peels in more than one piece, they're grounded. And the first time someone did it, they let me down. So they were not, <laughs> it was a joke rule, they were, they were in trouble. But as soon as someone did it, oh, they broke, tried to peel it and it came up two pieces. Yeah. The other ones, what'd they do? <laughs> oh, they did it! They broke it. They broke the rule. They're going to be grounded all. And then they're gang up on them. And that's what happens. You make a rule, someone's going to break it. And then everyone else is like, they broke the rule. Right? And so this is what happens. They say, oh, yeah, everybody's got to bow down to this idol everyone, or this, this image. Everyone's got to worship it. And then a couple of guys don't. And then the Chaldeans, they, they come and, hey, these guys aren't doing it. Remember you said there was consequences. There's always someone tattling on those that don't follow the rule right away. And so they start acting like little children. That's what it looks like to me. Oh, these guys are not listening. And in verse 12, it says, And there were certain Jews, this is what they said, whom thou hast set over the affairs. These are guys that you put in charge, King. You set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are great names. These men, O King, have not regarded thee. They're not listening to what you said. These they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. He said, they said, King, there's these three guys. There's Shadrach, there's Meshach, Abednego. You've put them in charge. These are leaders of yours, and they're not listening to the rules. And if your leaders aren't listening to the rules, how do you expect the people to listen to the rules if the leaders aren't doing what they're told? Just in case, and they said, just in case you didn't know, they don't worship any of your gods. That wasn't even the law. Is it just in case you didn't know of this about these guys? They don't worship. And they don't bow to this image. Fine, that's the rule. But they don't even worship any of your gods. They don't listen to you. They don't respect you. They, they're not getting on board with anything that you've been trying to do. They don't worship any of your gods. And then what happens? Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And but then we met a guy named Meshach. He's the only one I ever met. I haven't met a Shadrach or Abednego yet. But I know Meshach. 
And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, pulp, or psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I made well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? The audacity of this guy. Who is that God? Nebuchadnezzar, he gets super upset and angry. And he hauls them into his office. And he says, is it true that you don't serve any of our Babylonian gods or the image that I made. And it's interesting that the law said nothing about worshiping the other gods. Do you notice that? Mm -hmm. This is just a silly golden image that he set up. But yet, they start bringing this other stuff into it. Because if you'll be honest with you, that's the way the enemy and the world will often work. You know, I want you to do this thing. It's okay. You know, it doesn't mean it's not hurting anybody. It doesn't matter. To, you know, it's all right. Worship this image. It's not a god. There's no record that in the Bible that it says this was a god or this was an idol. It's just an image. It didn't represent. It didn't mean anything. Why don't you guys just get along with this? Why don't you just do this thing? It's not hurting anybody. It's just a, it's just a statue. It's not, you know. Why don't you just kind of go along with this? thing that we're trying to push. You know, it doesn't hurt anything. It's, it's not a God. We're not asking you to believe everything we believe. Just go along with it. Just respect this. Just accept this. Just welcome this thing into your life. Just go along with it. Just follow our leading. Just accept this statue. Just show some respect to this image or this lifestyle or this whatever you want. Why can't you just do that? You can worship your God too. It doesn't affect anything. But then, and then when you don't, they start slipping. They start trying to slide these other things in. They start bringing their other gods in. Well, if you can do that, if you can, you can accept this thing. Then, well, then, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Why can't if you can bow down to this idol or this image that I've made? Why can't you worship our other gods? Why can't you get along? Why can't you just do these other things that everyone else is doing? Why can't you just follow what everyone else is doing? You know, why can't you accept this agenda or that one or do what all the other Christians are doing? Why can't you do that? Who knows that? Amen. Why don't you just compromise on this one little thing here and just give up this one little bit and surrender and just worship, you know, just give some of the worship to this, this image. You can give the rest to your God, it's fine. But then, and then they start trying to push all the other things. And they demand you bow to the rest of their gods and they demand you bow to the rest of the stuff. And that's not my main point. That's just a side quest. Just a little peek into the one of the tactics of the enemy. But Nebuchadnezzar, he reminds them of this rule, the law. He says, don't you guys, just make it sure, you guys know this rule. You guys know this law that if you don't do this, you're going to die. And verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. 
And King James doesn't quite put the sass on it that they have. But what that means is, King, we don't even need to answer you on this. We don't even need to respond to what you're saying. This thing that you've just said to us, this does not even merit or deserve a response. And I love that about them. <laughs> this king is in their face. He's furious. He's full of rage. And he's telling them, literally, I'm going to kill you. I am going to throw you in this fire and you are going to die. And he demands of them. He says, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Who do you think your God is that he is able to deliver you from my hands? I have all the power. I can do whatever I want to you. Who is your God to me? And their response starts with, we don't even need to answer that. I don't even need to get into this debate with you. I don't need to try to prove anything to you. I don't need to argue with you about this. I don't care what you think or what you say. Who do you think you're God is? I don't even, that doesn't even deserve a response from me. I don't even have to answer that. But they do. And they go on and they say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. And they deliver this bold, this faith-filled response. And this is what we love about this story. The king, and he says, King, the God who we serve, that you say, who is this God? The God that we serve, he is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand. And when we talk about faith, this is often what we picture, the three Hebrew boys standing up to the king in the fiery furnace, the man and the other in the furnace. And these, these boys are faced with death, and they say, my God is able to yeah. deliver me. Right, And we love that sort of faith. That's the kind of faith that we want. That's the kind of faith we desire. And, and, and to say in any situation that we find ourselves, my God is able to deliver me. My God is able to heal me from this cancer. My God is able to deliver me from this depression. He's able to uh, release me from this prison. He's able to lift me out of this pit. My God is able to make a way when there is no way. My God is able to open prison doors. We like that sort of faith that says, my God is able to speak peace into the storm and he's able to raise me up and he's able to provide for me financially. My God is able to work in my family and he's able to restore this broken relationship. My God is able to, whatever the situation is, that's what we think of when we think of faith and that's what we see. To stand there in the face of the enemy and say, you say this, but my God is able. I don't know if I'm wrong here or not, but I'm totally off base. But that's the kind of faith that we promote. That's the kind of faith we push for. And that's Amen. the kind of faith we want and we honor. Amen. Amen. And we say things like, it's God's will, it's God's bill. He'll take care of it. And you'll say, He always shows up right on time. He's an on time God. You know, these sorts of things that we quote. And we, we say, This is faith. And now I'm going to twist it on you. And don't get upset with me. I'm not saying that isn't faith, all right? Because that is faith. It takes faith to believe those things. It takes faith to, to stand in the face of the enemy and say, my God's able. It takes faith to pray and believe for healing and deliverance and provision Amen. and all these things. It takes faith to do that. 
It was a huge step of faith for these boys to say this to the king, to stand there and say, I don't, I don't even need to answer you, but my God is able to deliver me. That took faith. But that wasn't all that these boys said. And they also said, which is my main point in the title that we were at, that I never mentioned earlier, but it's on the screen. Are you ready? Because we like to talk about the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We love the story of God delivering them from the fire, and the, the fourth man in the fire, and all these things. And I could preach about God delivering us from the fire, and I could preach about him standing with you in the furnace. And these are good thoughts and good things that I, to preach, and I will probably come back to the story at some point and preach it, but not, that's not today. Well, this is also what they said. They said, but if not... Be it known unto thee, O God, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, my God is able to deliver me, but if not, we still won't bow. There's one thing to say, oh, my God is able to deliver me, you just kind of hope that he will. But it's another thing to say, if he doesn't, that does not change a thing. I don't know if you get that or not. I wish we could get a hold of this. The faith of the three Hebrew boys was not dependent on whether or not God delivered them. What God did or did not do in this instant did not affect their faith. Their faith was rooted in something deeper than just a miracle or miraculous Deliverance. The problem with the 21st century church is our faith is so wrapped up in what God does or doesn't do. As long as he's answering prayers, we've got the faith. And as long as he's healing and the healing is flowing, we've got faith. And as long as the altars are full and people are praying through, we've got faith. We've got all the faith in the world that he can. But do we have faith when he won't? Or when he doesn't. Our faith in God cannot be dependent on whether or not he answers the prayer that I want him to answer. Our faith in God cannot be dependent on whether or not he heals me when I need it. Our faith in God cannot be dependent on whether or not he delivers me when I think I need him to. Our faith in God cannot be dependent on whether or not he provides for me when I need it. My God can deliver me. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. My God can heal me. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. My God can move in my life and he can perform this miracle. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to live for him. I'm still not going to bow down to the world. And I'm still going to dedicate my life to holiness. And I'm still going to go to the altar. And I'm still going to pray. And I'm still going to follow him even if he doesn't. He's able to, but if he doesn't, that's not going to change one thing. It takes an incredible amount of faith to believe for a miracle, but it also takes an incredible amount of faith to accept when it doesn't happen. My God can heal me from cancer, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to love him. 
I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to live for him. My God can save my family, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. My God can deliver me from depression, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him anyway. My God can provide for this need, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to live for him. That's the faith we need that says no matter what happens, I'm still going to stay. If a locust swarm comes, we're going to eat those locusts and we're going to continue. We're going to continue to preach the gospel. If my spouse dies, I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to follow. I'm still going to do what it is that he's called me to do. Whether the miracle happens or not, I'm still not going to bow to the world. I'm still not going to give in to the world. I'm still not going to surrender my faith in God if the miracle never comes whether the prayer is answered like I want it or not I'm still going to trust him Amen. do we have the faith today to say my God can but if he doesn't I'm still going to stand I'm not going to bow that's how you have people who endure that's how you have people like the Holmeses that go through all that stuff and they stay and their family's still in the church a hundred years later because sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes it's no the disciples the ones that were handpicked by Jesus they died before they should have if anyone should have been delivered it should have been Peter If anyone should have had to go through the things they went through, it should have been them. <coughs> they were faithful. And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes it's no, but no matter what the answer is, God is still good, and God is still faithful. Amen. All of my life, he has been faithful. Has there been heartache? Have I never been hurt? Have I never lost anything? Have I never battled through things? Of course I have, but his faithfulness and his goodness are not dependent on the miracle. He is good and he is God no matter what. Amen. He can do it, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to stand for him. I'm still going to worship him. I'm still going to follow him. I'm not going to bow down. One more story. Um, <clears throat> yelling a bit here. I'll try not to yell. There was a man in my church growing up in St. John. His name was Peter. He was a great guy. Solid in his faith. He was always at church. I've told you about Peter before. When we first started going to the church, he was one of the, the worship leaders. Um, you know, back in the days when they kind of did it off the cuff. They just kind of put the piano player on the spot. Hey, sister, play this one. Everybody sing this one next. And I just realized this morning, you know, I don't know if you grow up and you watch people worship, you watch people live for God, you kind of copy some things they do. But Peter, he would stand at the back of the church and, uh, when he wasn't leaving, obviously. And he would just kind of do one of these things, yes, and pray, and do one of those. I've caught myself doing that sometimes. He used to do one of these, and I found myself doing that this morning, and I just realized that, oh, we got that, watching him, 
But this man, he knew how to pray. And he had three sons, um, Sean, Todd, and Corey. Um, Sean's, I told you a couple weeks ago with the guy that I became friends with that I knew a long time, never really talked to him, Sean, that's the same guy. We started going to church, to that church. Todd was the only one that went of his three boys. As far as I, I know from the story, Peter had come into the church a little later, so his boys were raised in it. <clears throat> and Todd was, um, was handicapped. And, um, he, he lived up the street from us, and he'd go for his walks every day. And we'd always see him and talk to him. And every Sunday, he'd come over and sit by us, and then we'd have a chat. And, um, still does it whenever we go home. He's a good guy. And Peter, he was a prayer warrior. And he had a reputation from former pastors as just being a friend of pastors. He would, he'd ask them what they needed to, what he could pray for, for them, for their family. Um, things like that. He was always praying. And I told you, stand in the back of the church, praying during service. When he led in prayer, he would do that. It always fascinated me because he, he just sounded like he was talking with a friend. Some people pray and it sounds like they don't even know who God is. And Peter was just like, you're listening. He felt a little guilty just listening on a conversation with a couple of buddies. Like you're eavesdropping. That's how he prayed. And uh, I watched as over the years he prayed and he fasted for his other two boys until they finally came to church and they finally got saved and through his example these two boys they became prayer warriors as well and Peter he drove a truck for a bit and he worked kind of weird hours and one of his sons also worked weird hours shift work and things and there was a time when you couldn't go to the church in St. John any, any time of the day. You just couldn't get there and there not be one of either Peter or his boys there praying hours at a time. Often they'd leave the lights off. You wouldn't know if you flicked it on and there's one of them in the room praying. <laughs> oh, sorry. But they'd be there for hours and hours praying. And he was, he was a loving, giving guy. He'd take people under his wing and young people, whatever. He was just one of those guys that everyone loved. There's nothing bad to say about him. You never felt foolish talking to him. You always felt loved and accepted. And I watched this great man of God. He wasn't a preacher, no, but I have no doubt that he could have been if God called him. But he was a great man of God. And I watched Peter get diagnosed with cancer. The church prayed and prayed. And those boys of his that knew how to pray, knew how to get a hold of God, they prayed and they fasted and they, for hours and days and weeks. And Peter, Peter just kept praying like he always did. The back of the church, hands up, praying. And this man, I watched as his health deteriorated so quickly and his body became deformed and twisted from 
the cancer and the tumors and all the things going on. And I watched this man and throughout his faith never wavered, not one time. He never complained. Sometimes he couldn't get out because his health was so bad. And his wife said he'd be down in the basement of the house just praying like he always did. And he firmly believed that God was going to heal him. But if he didn't, he was still going to live for him anyway. The family believed that God was going to heal him. But if he didn't, they were still going to keep serving him anyway. And the church believed and I believed that he was going to be healed. But if he wasn't, we were going to keep on following Jesus. And Peter passed away in April 2013. We've had many, growing up, we had many great preachers come through our church. People prophesying, giving a word. And we, I've heard stories and stories, so many I can't remember. All these faith stories where someone needed a miracle and the impossible happened. And all these, you know, those ones that we love to hear. Missionaries and big name evangelists and all sorts of things. People naming and claiming things and getting victory and you know, all these things happening. I don't remember those stories so much, but I do remember watching Peter go through what he went through and thinking that's the kind of faith that I want. And that's the kind of faith that I need. And that is the kind of faith that keeps us. Amen. Amen. We love the miracles. We love the stories. And that's good. Miracles are great. Healing is great. Money coming in at the last minute is wonderful. Finding wallets where you've already looked three times. That's good stuff. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. And even if he doesn't, I'm still going to love him. And even if he doesn't, I'm still going to follow him. And I'm still going to trust him. Songwriter James Wilson said, If you never do anything else, you've already done enough. And that takes faith to completely surrender to his will. My God can. But if he doesn't, <laughs> I'm going to keep following him. I'm going to keep living for him. Peter, or Paul in the Bible said to live is, is game. Or to die is game. Live is good, but if I don't, <laughs> I'm with him anyway. Even if he doesn't, it takes faith to completely surrender to his will. I know my God can, but if he doesn't, that doesn't change who he is. And some of us, we've been facing some issues, and I know I preached a long time today. But some of us, we've been facing some issues and some things in our life, and we've been praying for a miracle, and we've been praying for a supernatural breakthrough, and that's fine, and it's good to do that. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. 
God did deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story. But I wonder if today we could pray what they said. My God is able. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to trust him. My God is able to do it, but if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow. My God is able to deliver, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to follow him. My God is able to heal, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to walk with him. And determine in our hearts today. It's a determination, it's a prayer. That I'm here and I'm staying and I'm not going to bow to the world and I'm not going to give in to these things. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep following him. My God is able, but if he doesn't, I'm still here. If he doesn't, that's why I'm still here. Um, There's so many things. I know we all have. We've gone through things that should have taken us out. Things that we prayed and God didn't answer the way we wanted. It's that determination that keeps us. I'm going to keep going for hours if I don't stop. I hope and all. Do I want me to find a place today to pray that? We're not saying that we don't believe that he can, because he can. I know that he can. I believe that he can. That takes faith. But if he doesn't, I still love him. If he doesn't answer that prayer, I still trust him. If he doesn't do that thing that I'm, I feel like he needs to do, I'm still gonna, still gonna hold on to his hand. I'm still gonna walk with him. Hallelujah. Let's pray today. My God is able, but if He doesn't, we still won't bow. We still won't give up. We still won't surrender. still going to stand. Hallelujah. All is open. You can come and pray. Pray your seat. Pray together as a family. Whatever you need to do today. Let's just surrender to Him. Hallelujah. It takes faith to say that.